0: Today we have the beautiful Dr. Maria Sirois. I have to say it in a French accent. Dr. Maria Sirois is an international inspirational speaker, consultant and a licensed clinical psychologist who has worked in the fields of wellness and positive psychology for 20 years. Maria is a master storyteller. Her lectures and workshops combine powerful and moving anecdotes with rigorous research to enable teams, families and individuals to build a work life and a home life of capacity, greed, meaning and happiness. Addressing topics as diverse as the art and science of resilience, flourishing no matter what and a course in happiness, she has been called both a true teacher and an orator of great power and beauty. Maria, as an author, has published two works, A Short Course of Happiness After Loss, which brings together the science of positive psychology and the art of resilience to offer a curriculum of sorts for those who are seeking strength, uplift, and meaning while wrestling with the harshness of life. Each reflection offers wisdom and practical guidance for those who are suffering from pain, loss, and shock, managing chronic stress, or experiencing the disappointments and loneliness of life. It's now time to tune into this down-to-earth woman who shares the key to being happy, is knowing you have the power to choose what to accept and what to let go. Enjoy. So today we have a very special guest for you, Dr. Maria Sirois. Welcome to I Am Woman Project.
1: Thank you, Catherine. It's wonderful to be here.
0: So we were just having a bit of a chat, the difference in time. So in Melbourne, it's Saturday, 9 o'clock in the morning, and it's 5 p.m. at your end of the world.
1: Exactly, on the east coast of America. And it's a Friday, which Mm -hmm. is your end of the week. End of the week. This is my last bit before I take an evening off. Oh, beautiful, beautiful.
0: So for our listeners, let's unpack Maria. Tell us your story. Uh,
1: so um, I'm a psychologist by training. I have two children. I teach positive psychology around the world, and my special interest is in resilience, the capacity. The question is, who are we at our best when things are difficult? That's the question I work with.
0: Yeah, and let's talk about positive psychology because that's one of those things that most people talk about all the time. But what is it exactly?
1: <laughs> I love that you said nice people talk about
0: it. They that's do. Great. They go because well, yeah. quite often they'll go, "Oh, but, uh, I know so, uh, somebody that does positive psychology." And it's like, what, "What does that mean? Does that mean that you have to speak positive, think positive? Um, mm. Is that a way of not unpacking a problem but more solution focused?"
1: It's really the study of who we are at our best. So the study of human beings, their their capacity, their goodness, their strengths, their values, their virtues, and it's also the exploration of how we elevate those things in, at home, in teams, um, at the executive level, in school systems. You know how we elevate the best of us.
0: Mm, I love that. And obviously, this is where the resilience comes into, because this is one of the things that we talk on our show quite a bit. For those that uh, are in those situations, how do you find resilience within you when everything seems to be falling apart around you?
1: Well, I think think the first reality of any difficult, really difficult time is to face that reality as it is, to feel what you feel and think what you think. And excuse me, become, you know, as cognizant as possible about what, <coughs> what the experience has done or is doing to you. And once we are able to do that, once we are able to face reality, then we can build in what we call a beautiful and, which are tools and strategies. <coughs> excuse me, Catherine, <coughs> I suddenly got very dry. It's okay. Um, tools and strategies that and perspectives that help us really focus on the good. Mm. So,
0: so <coughs> for, for example, when you're saying feel the emotion, um, obviously there's a time and place for that. So, for example, let's play this out. If we're in a boardroom or we're in an environment where there's, uh, we're surrounded by a whole lot of people and we're actually feeling an emotion that sort of creeps up on us, how do we become resilient right there and there? Is there a strategy that uh, you use or suggest?
1: Uh, well, one great strategy is to, to, you know, to notice, like to notice I'm feeling social comparison or to notice I'm feeling jealous or to notice I'm feeling um, abandoned or ignored, you know, to notice, take a breath, you know, that mindful pause and then ask yourself what other story might be true. Mm. You know, am I really being abandoned or have I isolated myself? Am I, am I really being abandoned or is it simple, simply the natural ebb and flow of a social situation that people come towards you and then they move away Am I really being abandoned or is that just a chronic thought I have in my head that isn't, that isn't true most of the time? You know, so to, to really ask yourself what other story might be true in this moment. And most of the time when we give ourselves permission to consider other stories, it immediately frees us from being uh, trapped by our first thought or our first perception.
0: Mm, I love that because we're very good storytellers, aren't we? Yeah. We are. <laughs> we are. I always say we're the director of our own movie. We are amazing storytellers and writers as well. So you're saying first is to notice it's so a label, it, give it a name, and then once you can identify it, then what stories are attached to that?
1: Exactly. Mm, exactly. I love that. Because many of us we 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 spend a lot of time and energy and I would dare say waste a lot of time and energy you know jumping to conclusions or catastrophizing or taking things personally or making assumptions about other people that they're not real or or better said they they might be slightly real but they're not the whole story and building in that sort of mindful pause and creating an and allows us to bring in more of the whole possible story.
0: Mm, I love that the and bring in the and cuz we quite often get stuck at the but I think that that's one of those things that I, I learned a long time ago. You have moved um, away language and moved towards language. So when you're actually even having that internal dialogue, when you're actually saying to yourself, but it's like what you said p- prior to the but is forgotten. And then you kind yeah, of start on a, on chapter two, another part of your story, whereas "and" right. is more flowing.
1: Exactly. And, mm. it, and it, it creates a bridge as opposed to separation.
0: Mm. It's interesting because what I do, I mean, how I deal with it, which I prefer uh, the, you know, notice it, label it and then actually what a story is, what kind of stories attached to that feeling is I tend Mm to go, I acknowledge you. And because I always say I'm the bus, I'm the my the driver of my own bus or my own car and I have, you know, a bus full or a car full of emotions and when you come mm-hmm. up, I acknowledge you, but I'm going to put you in the parking lot and I'll come to you when I'm finished with this. And that's a way that I actually not repress my feelings, but more so be attentive to what I need to attend to there and then, and then deal with my emotion uh, then, you know, like why are you coming up? Why am I feeling this way? Um, what can I learn from you and what can I do with you?
1: I love that. You mm. give it permission to exist, but you also then remind yourself that you actually have control. You have control over your thoughts and feelings. You have control over, over how you respond in the moment.
0: Mm. Yeah, I think that's – because I was I was perfect. To, I was probably the expert at repressing, and it was like – it wasn't uh, – Because I always, um, yeah, I think we were taught at a very young age, don't show your emotions, hold back, you know, don't have your tantrums, don't get angry in front of people, that Mm. kind of thing. And so over time what I think we all tend to do is repress our feelings and emotions and actually don't allow ourselves to actually feel it. And it doesn't mean having a tantrum in public, but it does uh, allow you to give it space.
1: Right. Exactly. Exactly. Exactly.
0: So what I love to do is always ask our uh, woman of inspiration, what are some of the radical shifts that you have had in your life um, that's turned out for the better?
1: Um, So I think the first, earliest, most conscious radical shift I can um, really hone in on is a shift when I was in my late 20s of making a conscious choice to stop investing so much in pessimistic and negative thinking and, and self-criticism and try to build practices that actually lifted my self-esteem and brought more optimism into my day. Um, that was a profound shift for me and opened up many doors to experiencing life differently. Does that make sense?
0: Oh, absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. Actually, that's one thing that sometimes when I talk about um, – you know, shifting, making that slight shift, especially if you're – and that's a habit, negative in nature or negative thinking. Um, and we talk about shifting your – just start acknowledging what you're thinking. Start acknowledging your stories. But what I get is, you know what, Catherine, that takes so much energy. And, it, you know, and they go – and it's easy just to be the way that I am. What are your thoughts around that?
1: Well, I think sometimes, you know, we, we I hear a very similar thing in the world of positive psychology because – what I'll hear is, oh my God, it's a lot of work to practice these things every day or to even just practice one thing every day. And I'd say, you know it is it is it does require some effort. It does require work. But think of how much work and energy you are spending trying to deny that you're unhappy or trying or constantly recalibrating from your own negative thinking, or uh, re you know having to to redo a moment because you've jumped to a conclusion again or you've taken it personally again. You know, how much time and energy we spend wrestling with our demons as opposed to, you know, sort of embracing them, facing them as they are, and building something a little more positive around them. So I think the investment is, is pretty clear in terms of where we ought to put our time and energy.
0: And I think sometimes when you're talking about that too, it makes me think of whether it's in a relationship or a job, and that's quite often we stay in a relationship that we're not happy but we continue to remain unhappy because the thought of leaving or going through a separation is too dramatic. And same with work. I see this in uh, a lot of the executives and leaders. they stay in roles that they're not happy, um, but it's all about the money. Do you come across uh, that often?
1: I do come across it sometimes and and there's a trade-off and mostly I see people will people will, come to my, you know, to some of the retreat centers I teach at and they are simply exhausted and they don't understand why life has become meaningless or they're too fatigued and they don't care anymore or, you know, everything just feels heavy. And I'll, and when you, if you dig a little deeper and they've made this choice to s- sell their soul for the sake of money or sell their dream, you know, like uh, delay their dream for the sake of comfort, um, and and point that out to them. There's often an epiphany, and then they have to make a choice. You know, mm. am I really willing to continue to sacrifice the possible goodness and richness in my life any longer for the sake of this temporary, you know, band aid? Mm. So, how
0: do you work with someone that is in those in that situation? Because you're talking about a trade off. So, talk us through that.
1: Well, one of the things that we'll talk about is. You know what the? Sometimes I'll ask them what's what's the dream of your life? Like when you're you're at at, on your 90th birthday and your best friend gets up to tell the story of your life. What do you want that story to include? And they'll often feel very sad that they know that they're not actually living into or building that story, given the choice that they've made. Um, So that's a sort of big picture approach. A much more day to day approach would be, you know, to work with them in terms of what if you mattered just as much as anybody else, just as much as your job, just as much as your commitments. What if you actually mattered and and have them explore what it would be like to take five or 10 minutes out of every single day and just do something that is completely self-caring, self-nourishing, self-loving and joyful for themselves. And so to begin to build toward a different kind of future by crafting every day a little differently.
0: Mm. And I, I find that sometimes I, I don't know if you have the the same response, but I find that sometimes people that have been stuck in those kind of situations, when you ask them what do you want, they actually don't know.
1: They don't know, <clears throat> but most of us have some idea about what brings us pleasure. Mm. So most of us have some idea what what creates a sense of wonder. Like, are you filled with wonder when you're looking at the? rainforest or the ocean or the mountains or just the city street you know attract you like what what opens your eyes most of us know what uh, a mini or a micro moment of positive connection looks and feels like so we can you know help people begin to fill in that list of what makes them happy or what brings them joy by the things that they are already aware of but it it does for some people you're absolutely right you have to do some deep digging
0: Mm, I love that. I love just focusing on what makes them happy, what they actually just love to do. Because I find that, and especially in women, they ter- tend to focus so much externally on family and make sure that everybody else is okay, that yeah. um, they don't do anything for themselves. You know, they'll always leave themselves out of the picture when it comes to life and fun and love and happiness. So sometimes you're right, you have to really dig deep
1: you do and you know there's a real trade-off that um when you sacrifice your own well-being for the sake of constantly taking care of others that does feel good for a while um for many women and then it stops feeling good at all and then we become resentful and burdened and sometimes just world-weary and we just can't stand our lives any longer and one of the things i suggest is that we know who pe- that people who hold themselves in balance like I matter and others matter. If we can find a way into that balance where some part of our day is for us and some part of our day is for everyone else and all the other obligations and responsibilities, we actually have more positive energy to give over a longer period of time. It's nourishing, not just for us, but for those around us.
0: Mm, that's so true. I think that lo- the whole life balance is a big piece. I, I think we've all experienced it in some way, shape, or form. I know for me, as you're talking about it, I had a flashback of, uh, you know, some of my past relationships where I was just, it's all about them. And right. I did get to a point in my life where I just found myself, I just wasn't happy and I didn't even know why. It's because mm. I was so external focused and it was all about my son, my partner, everybody else. As long as everybody's happy, I was happy. But eventually mm. that turned on
1: me. Oh, God, yeah. Because you know what? We what? can't make other people happy, <laughs> it turns out. Yeah. Happiness is, you know, like you can do the things that other people say they like or love and make sure they have the food that they like. And yes, I'll, you know, I'll we'll go to these places or these movies and not those places or not those movies. And yet at the end of the day, um, if you're in the constant search to, to make Help someone else feel better. We we not only lose track of ourselves. We forget that it, that it is their responsibility. That happiness truly is an inside job, and having it come to you from the outside is only ever temporary. So the the well is never really filled.
0: Mm, so true. So Marie, you've obviously you know a lot about this. Is this a, a through? Was this driver through your own experience? Uh, that you experienced this yourself, or what drove you to deep dive and do what you do today?
1: Gosh, I think it's a combination of things. I think it's a combination of you know growing up in a, an environment where there was a tremendous amount of fear and worry, um, and not wanting to carry that into my adulthood and and in, certainly into my next gener the next generation, my children. I think I was fortunate enough to have mentors and teachers along the way who were positive role models and encouraged me to continue to trust myself and trust my instincts. Um, And I think as I aged, I got better and better over time at listening to my heart, you know, just following, tracking what I love, both in the day, but in the larger world as well. I was just saying to a group of students the other night that, you know, there are certain things that are are clear. They're never going to happen in my life. I'm in my... Uh, mid late fifties, I'm 57. And, you know, there are certain things that I probably will never experience. And that's okay, because I've gotten so much better at saying, this is what I want to move toward, you know, Mm. so I think it really had to do with moving away from some ways of thinking and being that I grew up with that were not happy making for me, and having good role models and teachers and in people who are invested in me and then learning to trust my own heart. Mm.
0: And, and did uh, boundaries play a part in that learning to say no and learning to because I think that sometimes what we do is sometimes we sacrifice or even allow our boundaries to be pushed a little bit, or our values to be compromised, uh, just in the sake to keep the peace. Uh, so you've obviously got very strong boundaries.
1: Well, today, but I'll, I'll tell you, uh, my teen years, my twenties, they were a mess of, <laughs> like, I, I did not know how to set a boundary. And even, even into my mid thirties, now that I'm thinking, I had a very wise friend of mine take me out to lunch one day and said, you know, I know you like to repair the world, but you cannot repair all parts of the world at the same time or you'll exhaust yourself. And it's cause I didn't know how to say no. Mm. I didn't know how to say no. Um, what I love now about my life and this sense of balance and integration in my life is that I'm very, very capable of no. And I'm also very capable of saying yes. Like, yes, that sounds amazing. Yes. I want to try that. Yes. I choose life, you know? Mm. So, um, I think both are important.
0: Yeah, absolutely. I think that it took me a long time. I still can't say no. There's, there's something, there's a bit of a resistance, but I find ways of, like, can I get back to you? Uh, with an answer in, you know, tomorrow or something, I need to sleep on it, or I still find it really uncomfortable because there's a sense of guilt every time I say no. Mm.
1: Yeah. You know, one of the things that was really helpful to me was to realize that I don't – we don't have an infinite amount of time, and if I really want that story at the end of my life to be one of uplift and joy and um, appreciation for my own living – then I've got to learn to say yes only to the things that lift me and much better. And so, you know, that I kept thinking about that end of life story. That was helpful for me.
0: Now, I, I'm trying to think there was another lady that I interviewed said the same thing. I leave each day as to today was going to be my last day. So mm. it, she found it easier to say no or respond to things that was going to light her up. So if it wasn't a yes, yes, she wasn't going to do it. If it was a maybe, she wouldn't even she would even contemplate it, but she was very good at saying no purely, just like what you said, that today's my last day because you just never know what tomorrow brings.
1: You know, there's a wonderful woman. I don't know her and I can't remember her name. She's I, th- I believe she's Japanese, but she wrote a book about decluttering, like literally decluttering your closet or your desk. And one of the, so it's, it's a world famous book. So that one of the main teachings that she teaches is you don't keep something unless it brings you joy. And so it, one of the ways that I found to learn to say no was to like take out my own collection of bracelets and say, which of these bring me joy and the rest I pass on. Shoes. Which of these bring me joy and the rest I pass on? And that setting up a boundary for myself around objects helped me actually become a little bit better at setting boundaries around time, around volunteering, etc.
0: Oh, that's a great tip. I'm actually going to use it. I'm currently decluttering because I, I, for me, 2018 is going to be a very different year. I've decided, uh, but I actually, there's, it's really interesting. There's pieces in my cupboard I look at and go, Oh, I love it. So pretty. I don't know that I could get rid of it. So I'll put it back in the cupboard. But it's, I haven't worn it for about five years, but Mm. I love the, the fact that if it doesn't bring you joy to actually pass it on because you're passing on joy to somebody else I like that
1: exactly exactly yeah I love
0: it so Marie the other thing that we love to unpack a little bit is everyone has pain points whether it's in business or in life what would be some of your biggest pain points and how have you conquered your pain points
1: I think the biggest pain point for me uh, I have two uh, in one in business which is perfectionism yeah you know, um, really wrestling with it all having to be perfect and it all having to be right. And then excruciatingly painful moments when of course I failed or it didn't go well, or it was my fault kind of thing. Mm -hmm. Um, and I have to say, you know, I'd love to be able to tell you that self, I learned about self-compassion and forgiveness. That was not helpful at first. (laughs) What was really Mm -hmm. helpful at first, Were mentors who were willing to start a conversation with how they had failed and they were not perfect and it actually is okay. So, um, I think that's a, that's been a huge pain point for me in Mm. the, in the work world. Yeah. I have to agree with that one too. I was
0: very much a perfectionist and I think that, um, it was, uh, and you, you hear lots of um, different, you know. I listen to Tim Ferriss, and he talks about, you know, fail, fail fast, learn from it, and you know, get your stuff out there. Don't wait for it to be perfect. It's mm-hmm. it's through it once your information is out there or your course is out there, whatever that may be. That's when you learn to tweak with it. But it, for as long as it sits with you until it's perfect, it may never go anywhere.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah, exactly.
0: So what yeah. do you think um, is one of the reasons or some of the reasons that people fail to succeed in business or in life in general? What would be some of those roadblocks that you hear about or come across often?
1: Um, not believing in themselves enough, you know, not not investing in their own sense of self-worth or self-confidence, um, never taking the risk, you know, just assuming that they're going to fail and so they stay small. Um, I think another re- another roadblock, a common roadblock is in listening to other people's opinions about who you should be or how you should live a life. And so really filling in somebody else's formula, not your own. Mm-hmm. I think those are the top three Yeah, that I, wit- that I witness.
0: Yeah. And so what would, because uh, self-worth comes up a lot in our conversations as well at I Am All Project, what would be something that you or a piece of advice or suggestion uh, for those that, have got a lack of self-worth.
1: So self-worth is built by seeing seeing yourself do the brave thing. Like as we witness ourselves be braver in conversation or be braver in action or be braver around simple things like no I'd really not, rather not have um go to that restaurant tonight. I'd really rather go to this restaurant. Um, to watch ourselves being brave in terms of standing up for ourselves, that's what builds a sense of self worth. And that, uh, that can lead to setting goals and accomplishing goals and setting bigger goals and so on. So I, you know, I invite people to do a 30 day sort of practice challenge where they say, okay, in what way am I going to be 2% brave on my own behalf today? And then, you know, fill a month of new, interesting, ways of being slightly more courageous on, on your own behalf and then at the end of the 30 days reflect back on how does that feel and how do you see yourself now and um you know what what are you really what are you willing to take on is the next five percent incremental growth mm, i
0: love that i really do that's really about standing in your truth have you seen a movie uh called we Border zoo Yes, yes. Yes. Do you remember? It just reminded me the 20 seconds of courage. Right. Do you Remember when he was That's walking right. past the restaurant, he saw this beautiful woman and he actually uh, looked at her and went, wow, she's beautiful. And he gave himself 20 seconds of insane courage to go in there and tell her how beautiful she was and so forth. And they obviously ended up being together. But that's always stuck with me. And so there's some times where I've been really scared or, uh, you know, and even afraid or a fear to stand in my truth. Then I actually said to myself, okay, Catherine, you've got 20 seconds of insane courage. And it kind of like creates this sense of urgency. And I actually tie myself. And and it's not so overwhelming then because you only got 20 seconds. Right. It's very similar to what you're talking about, that 2% of, bravery and taking that risk and um and standing in your truth. You know, if you actually don't want to be doing this or going to a place, actually say, I don't, you know, I don't want to eat this food or I don't want to go and see that movie. Exactly.
1: Mm. Exactly. So Marie, what advice would you give your younger self? Oh God. I would absolutely tell my younger self not to worry less that it it all it all will work out that um, there are good people everywhere who care, and um, to you know, just relax a bit. <laughs> I was so serious and intense and worried all the time. Yeah, isn't it that I'm, I'm? I
0: could relate to that too. I think that just comes with age, isn't it? When you actually get a little bit older, as we mature, um, mm. I think it's it is. It's not so so dramatic. Uh, Mm -hmm. and when you look at things, you know, when I look back at some of the things that I responded or reacted to, I just think, you know, I could have handled that so differently. But Mm -hmm. I guess that's what we – they're our lessons, right? We learn from life. Exactly. Mm. And who have been some of your greatest influence throughout your life?
1: I think the poets Rumi and Rilke have been a huge influence and then in modern day uh, Mary Oliver. Um, I think in terms of role models, Viktor Frankl, is uh, been a huge his story and his teachings have been incredibly important mm. and then dire- more directly in my own life i've had as i said i've had some wonderful mentors who really cared about my growth and development i had a a boss in my early 20s and then a psychology professor in graduate school who deeply was invested in my growth and and i've had great therapists too mm. yeah
0: yeah i love it so if you had to pick one word that best describes your personal brand, what would be that one word for you, Maria?
1: Authenticity.
0: Mm, I love it. And that's, that's a, once again, that goes back to standing in truth and truly being, because uh, I, I see that very tied in with self-worth as well because mm-hmm. uh, I do a lot of work with leaders and I see that sometimes they don't try to be somebody else and they get lost in that. Uh, how do you... um maybe drive authenticity so if you see that somebody's lost in lost their way or Mm -hmm. lost you know lost um losing themselves in their work or you know they're not being authentic what would be some of the tips that you would uh share with them
1: i think you know first to notice what you know one of the things i'll have people do is i'll have them think about what it means to be true to yourself and, and to recover, remember moments when they were true to themselves in a healthy way, you know, in a self caring, self nourishing way. And, and notice the good that emerged from that, you know, what, what grew out of that brave moment, that brave vulnerable moment when you were, when you were yourself and you were also, you know, being, bringing the best of yourself alive. And when we remember those key moments in the past, it's, it gives us kind of fuel to be brave again in the present moment. Um, we can reflect on the costs of their inauthenticity, which often are very clear, mm. and the potential benefits of moving toward a little bit more authenticity. So have them see sort of the balance sheet in front of them.
0: Mm. I love that. So when you're talking about vulnerability, because that's, uh, I know that for a very long time, and I see this all the time, leaders um, hold back on being vulnerable because they see that as a sign of weakness, whereas I see it as a sign of strength. So how Mm -hmm. do we, you know, I guess, help others become more vulnerable?
1: Uh, You know, this is the work that's being uh, um, written about so powerfully by Brene Brown, who talks about um, setting healthy boundaries, who talk about recognizing that that all wholehearted living really rests on being vulnerable. Um, And she speaks about, you know, daring to live a little bit more bravely, a little bit more truthfully, and notice what happens when you do so. Um, So her work is really useful, Mm. absolutely useful. Um, And I You know, I think for people who are terrified of seeming weak or too fragile, there's probably a very good reason why they came to that belief system. And so we'd really want to help them honor that that was protective for them at an earlier time and that 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 still may not be relevant now, but it, it was protective at an earlier time and that there are other ways of living. And I would have them also seek out role models, like literally who do you admire who has a balance between being vulnerable and protective, between being courageous and prudent, you know, mm. who offers the kind of balance that you're most interested in bringing alive. Yeah. And,
0: and do you encourage them to just those little steps to becoming more vulnerable? Because I see, for me, when I see a vulnerable leader, I go, wow, that person's human and I connect with them instantly.
1: Yes. And and we can show them data that, you know, um, leaders who express that they're not perfect actually are more regarded and more well regarded and more trusted. You know, we can show them the data. Um, But I think it really will come home in their own lived experience when they look back at, you know, the moment that they felt like they could actually trust someone else is when they allowed them that uh, that other person allowed themselves to be vulnerable, as well as you know continue to have their own capacity. You see we make these black and white judgments that if I let you know that I'm in pain, you're going to think I'm I'm weak and and that's it as if that's the only judgment that exists and as my friend when I have a couple of dear friends who always remind me Maria sharing your pain with us is actually a generosity. Because we get to see the whole of you and we get to see you not pretending to have it all together. And then I can respond to you from the wholeness of me. You know, I get to feel free to be all of who I am.
0: Oh, I love that. I just got goosebumps. Just love that. So Maria, what we do as we wrap up the show, we always love to ask our woman of inspiration to leave our listeners with three shiny golden nuggets. So what would you like to leave for our listeners today?
1: You know, I would love to leave them with this uh, notion that comes from Barbara Fredrickson, who's one of our premier researchers in our field, which is that to to look for positive moments of micro-connection in every day, that one of the ways in which we sustain ourselves, especially if we're in a time of transition or we're developing greater bravery or a greater sense of self-worth, is to notice the good, the good in others, the good in ourselves. So to really seek out positive moments, to, to notice kindness, to notice generosity, to notice wonder, to notice joy, just sort of like you're observing in the, in the, in the day. Um, a second golden nugget would be to ask yourself, you know, if I were 3% more in line with what is true and healthy for me, how would that change my day? Just 3%. Mm-hmm. What one thing might I do differently? Or what one conversation might I have um, that's a wonderful way to strengthen a sense of authenticity as well as self-worth and self-esteem. Mm, I
0: love that. And, Keep going. Sorry.
1: Yeah. And the third is sort of a, it's much more playful. Um, and it's a, I don't know that I invented it, but I certainly have um, uh, patented my own form of it, which is, I call it love bombing, which is to get into the practice habit of periodically, randomly love bombing someone else or some team of people with, uh, just post-it notes, sticky notes with positive, you know, gr- statements of gratitude. You're amazing. I completely believe in you. You bring this strength alive to our team and see what it's like to flood a desktop or flood a refrigerator or flood a car with the kind of sticky notes that really, um, honor what is wonderful in another person. They receive tremendous benefit, uplift, of course, and you do as well because we know that human beings, we are hardwired to be kind and generous. And it's just a fun, playful way of living a day with a little bit more spiritedness and zest and appreciation.
0: Oh, I love love bombing. That's a great one. I love that. I mean, I do it via email, but it makes such a better impact if it's handwritten with post-it notes all over their desk.
1: Yes, and it's, it's this visual confetti of goodness.
0: Mm, I love that. Marie, it's interesting what you're saying. We're we're hardwired to be kind and compassion. And sometimes you hear individuals say that we're hardwired to think negative because of our environment, because we're constantly being bombarded by negativity in the news. And so our default position is to be negative. What are your thoughts around that?
1: Well, I think both are true. We are absolutely hardwired for fear and anxiety. We know that. That's Mm -hmm. the primitive part part of the brain, and that's a survival mechanism. But if you put an 18-month-old child in a room with a stranger, and the 18-month-old will be playing with his or her set of blocks, and the stranger will be playing with his or or her set of blocks, and the stranger suddenly says, oh, and her blocks fall apart, that 18-month-old will time and time again, walk over, pick up a block and hand it to the stranger to help them build their thing again. I mean, that's, uh, we, we are measuring generosity at younger and younger ages. And we can say that without hesitation, kindness, generosity is hardwired into humanity.
0: Mm, it's so true. I love that. So Marie, for our listeners, I'd uh, love for you to talk through maybe a little bit about your book. So talk through your books and maybe just a synopsis of your book and where's the best place for them to find you?
1: Oh, thank you, Catherine. So my, uh, I have two books. My recent book is called A Short Course in Happiness After Loss and Other Dark, Difficult Times. And it's a reflection of on the territory of loss and stress and illness and divorce and um, unusual loss and what what that territory is like for us and how it actually can be a place of tremendous growth. And then the second half of Reflections in the Territory of Happiness and how the two, happiness and loss, are really deeply interwoven. Um, and the book can be found most easily on Amazon.com and I can be found just through my website which is mariawwwmariacerwa.com
0: Maria I can't thank you enough for coming on the show I know we've uh, we finally got here it did take us mm. a little while but uh, and I know our listeners are absolutely going to adore you so once again thank you for your time and your energy and I wish you the most amazing Friday night
1: Thank you and I wish for you a wonderful weekend Thank you
0: That brings us to the end of another episode. I hope you enjoyed the show as it is my mission to reach out and inspire as many individuals like you. And one of the best ways to help us achieve this goal is by giving us a good review on iTunes. It's easy and it only takes about 10 seconds. If you have any questions or special guests that you would like to hear from, please send us an email to support at katherineplano.com.au and we will get right back to you. You can also follow us on Instagram, Twitter, or Facebook at Catherine Plano. That's it for now. Thanks for listening. Until next week, please take care.